Chrissy Hennessy has a master's degree in creative writing and is the founder of the So Relatable newsletter on Substack that has nearly 2,000 subscribers. She's written three novels and a short story collection, all of which haven't been published yet. And she works full-time as a manager of writing and content strategy for a company called Encino, a fintech organization based in Wilmington, North Carolina. She started So Relatable in 2019 as a safe haven for creatives who want strategies to help them navigate the creative process. Tucked inside her posts, however, are always useful lessons you can take with you to live a healthier, more fulfilling life in general. And her writing is always so fun, funny, hopeful, and down to earth. I hope in this conversation you'll begin to understand why her writing has captivated close to 2,000 subscribers over the past five years. Without further ado, I wanted to welcome Chrissy Hennessy to the Mind of a Writer podcast. Chrissy, welcome. Hi, great to be here. All right, so let's let, let's get it. Let's get to the start and to mm -hmm. the heart of the matter here. Um, you know, you're a writer. I'm a writer. I would love to know when you first fell in love with writing. Was there like a moment that you can point to? And if so, what did that moment look like for you, Chrissy? Um, well, I think a lot of writers have a similar answer. I've always been a writer. I've always enjoyed writing. I've always kind of had a natural talent for it. Um, majored in writing in undergrad, then I got a master's in writing. So it's kind of just what I've always done. But I was thinking about this question earlier, and I do remember one year in grade school, maybe I was seven or eight, and we had to write a story. And I think I wrote a story about like a house fire, which is kind of dark. Looking back, like I'd never experienced that, but I don't know, it called to me. And my teacher chose my story to read out loud to the class because I guess it was pretty well done for a seven-year-old, not to brag. Um, but I remember not, not realizing until that moment that this was something I was good at or that could get me attention or praise. Um, so I feel like that was the moment where I realized that I could write and that people would recognize me for it which now looking back is probably something I need to unravel at some point, like the ability to write and the praise involved in writing are kind of wrapped up in my mind a little bit. But mm. after that, I just realized like I could keep doing this and keep getting attention for it and keep, um, you know, earning these accolades in class, which then kind of just turned into a lifetime of writing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and I like that, but maybe, maybe we should stick with that for a second because, yeah. you know, online writing is, <laughs> you know, the praise involved in the views and the likes and all that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's very much attached to how a lot of us perceive our own value as mm -hmm. as writers. Um, one of the cool things about your writing, Chrissy, is that I feel like you approach it, this newsletter, as something that you do on the side, mm -hmm. something that you do... Okay you know, like, like as a hobby, something that you love and enjoy. It's not like every, all of the likes and comments that you get are like the only thing that matter to you, or like, it's like you live and die by that. Mm -hmm. So like, how has that journey been for you to keep writing fun? Mm -hmm. Like you just said, rather than keeping yeah. it about like, you know, like the achievements and the attention and like, oh, you're so good because you can write well, you know what I mean? Like, how do yeah. you kind of reconcile that? Um, some days I don't reconcile it at all. So <laughs> some days I do get kind of, um, you know, everybody gets jealous when they see other people who have like, cause you know, on Substack too, you can see how many comments other people get or, you know, how many subscribers people have. And so 
that can be like a little bit um, of a bummer sometimes when I think about how hard I work at my newsletter and how it's still in the grand scheme of things fairly small. Um, but I think, I think over the years I've gotten really good about just focusing on, you know, the people that do read it. I have some really great newsletter friends and a really good community and people are really nice about even mentioning it to me and via email or people that I know that read it. So I feel like I focus on not so much like the numbers or the views, but the relationships that I built through it. And that's been really um, gratifying to me. And I think because I haven't tried to monetize it or make it full time, I do just kind of think of it as a side project that I have. So that takes some of the pressure off. I can always tell myself, well, if it was your full time job, you too would have 50,000 subscribers and you know millions of dollars. But I can say, well, this is a side project. This is a hobby. I'm grateful for anybody who reads it. I enjoy writing it. Like I get a lot of value out of it myself. So focusing on that helps a lot. But I definitely have moments where I'm just like burning and writhing with jealousy of other people's success or what I perceive them to be like doing better or having more readers or more opportunities than I have. So Same. it's a balance. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Um you, you you've been you you've had this newsletter for five years now. So you mm -hmm. started it back in 2019. I mean, it's basically five years, right? Yep. Um, yeah. Have you gotten better over time with not attaching too much value to those likes and comments or like, how is it, how has that been for you? Yeah, I will say one of the funny things about newsletters and sub Substack in particular, probably all newsletters, um, is that the more subscribers you have. So I'm, I've nearly broken 2000 at this point, which I'm like so excited and grateful for, but the higher the number of subscribers kind of like the lower your open rate is because you're getting people who necessarily aren't like that core group. So I've watched my, the number of subscribers go up, but then the open rate tick down. So, you know, in one way I'm feeling great. And the other way I'm like, oh, who are these people who are getting it, but maybe aren't as engaged or as into it or that kind of thing. Um, but again, like, I feel like it's, there's a core group of people that I've connected with who open it every single time. And you can see that via Substack too. And so I just feel like I'm writing to those people. Um, and they're they're there no matter what. They're like my cheerleaders. They're the people I communicate with. I read their newsletters. Um, so that's been that's been a really nice way to kind of focus on it instead of getting caught up in all that other stuff. Yeah, I um, I I gotta, I just started my paid community for for my Substack, and a lot of the people who signed up for it are some of the same people who have like <laughs> been ride or die with me for yeah you know, the past couple years. And I feel like as um as creators who write online, a lot of us focus on getting more subscribers, followers, mm -hmm. views, whatever. But in reality, I, I I feel like what you just said is so true. It's the couple people, like that mm -hmm. group of like, mm -hmm. I don't know how many it would be, like maybe 25 to 50 that yeah. like are always there for you, that like are sending you comments mm -hmm. and 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 replies to your emails. Those, mm -hmm. those are the people where I feel like I get the most joy out of this whole process, not the thousands, but mm -hmm. the dozens of people. Yeah. Is that, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel exactly the same. I forget. It's some very famous person who has that idea of like a thousand true fans. If you can find your 1000 fans, they can sustain you for like the entirety of your creative life. Um, and I really believe that like, to me being known and 
and seen and appreciated by that core group um, is better to me than having like, you know, a hundred thousand people who don't really know me or engage with me. And I feel like I've, I blogged for a long time before starting my newsletter. And so a lot of those people have, have been around for maybe even close to like 20 years, which is insane. Um, so I have these like long relationships that I've just built like through writing and through communication. Um, yeah, so I feel very similar. I think when I imagine who I'm talking to through my newsletter, I imagine like those 25 or 50 people. Um, I imagine like what they liked last time, what they need to hear, what I want to tell them. Um, and I think that, you know, when other people stumble across it, I think they feel like they're part of that conversation. So that feels really good to me. Yeah, and I'm sure it probably feels good too, um, to like, I like that, that thought. Mm -hmm. Imagine those, that, that core group mm -hmm. and write to them every time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that probably gives, gives some confidence as well when mm -hmm. you're writing and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to focus so much on the thousand. I'm just going to focus on these, this group of people. I know they're going to mm -hmm. like this. And this mm -hmm. is going to be, this is going to be helpful for, for, for me and, and for them, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, okay. So <laughs> five years ago, you started so relatable. Um, what was the reasoning behind starting that? And what were you hoping would eventually happen with the newsletter? Um, I, like I mentioned before, I'd blogged for a long time, maybe like 15 years or so I had a public blog and I, I just kind of took it down. Um, I hadn't updated in a long time. It had a lot of stuff from like my early twenties or I was just a little more unguarded than I am now that I'm older and have a real job and, you know, just want to present myself differently than I did maybe when I was 24. Yeah. Um, but I really missed having that outlet. Like I was active on Instagram or Twitter, but it's not the same. Like I thrive in that long form, um, that long form format. I'm not like a Instagram person. I'm not, witty short like it takes me a while to get to the point as you're seeing from this podcast interview <laughs> um but I'd read a couple of newsletters from other writers who maybe I'd followed on blogs and just kind of liked what they were doing and thought okay I, th I feel like newsletters are the next thing they're the new blog so I just kind of decided to start one up and try it out and I started with MailChimp for about a year actually before I found Substack and you know MailChimp is really more built for like advertising companies, that kind of stuff. It doesn't have that real community feel that Substack has. Um, but I did that for about a year before I found Substack and never looked back. And I think my goal at first was really just to get back in the practice of writing and publishing regularly. I tend to work on novels that, as, as you mentioned in the intro, had not yet been published. So a lot of, my, like I spend all my time writing things that nobody ends up reading. So for me, the newsletter is like my opportunity to write something I'm proud of, send it into the world and get like immediate feedback from from other people. So I get to actually share the things I'm writing and have it read, um, which I think makes it easier for me to spend my time on these long projects that may or may not ever be read by anyone. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Um, OK, so like I mentioned before, too, um, in your about page. You write, I've learned that a career outside of my creative pursuits is actually mm -hmm. quite freeing. It allows me to write what I want rather than what will feed me. So do you think writing what you want has led to you making a bigger impact than it would have 
if you were writing to feed yourself? And if so, why? Um, yeah, I think this, it's hard to say. Um, I do like having, you know, a separate full-time job. My job is kind of creative. I, I lead a team of writers at work. So, but it's a very different kind of writing and it's not what I would necessarily choose to write. You know, I work in the fintech industry. I write about banking, um, but the company I work for, you know, I get a nice regular salary. I get benefits. I have great coworkers. Um, so it does take a lot of the pressure off. At one point I was a full-time freelancer and I found that doing that where I was trying to always pitch and write essays and articles it took up so much time that I really didn't have any time left for my own creative work because I was always looking for the next opportunity. Now I feel like I have plenty of time for my creative work because I know exactly where my paycheck is coming from. I know when to show up, what to do, who to talk to. So maybe if I was like a more successful freelancer, I would have had better balance. But for me, it's really nice to have them be separate things. There's the work that I get paid for and then the work that I just do whatever I like and whatever I want. And if I get paid for it, great. If I don't, you know, I'm still going to be able to make my rent or my mortgage now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I feel like there's a lot of rhetoric out there about like being a full-time writer or even the Substack model, like turn on subscriptions, um, how to do the paywall correctly. And I just get to ignore all of that. Like, that I'm probably leaving money on the table or there's probably opportunities I'm not going after, but I'd rather just funnel all that energy into actually like doing the work. So yeah. Yeah. for me, it's kind of worth it to, to look at it that way. Um, Chrissy, how do you feel about like, I, we hear a lot about writing burnout, right? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you go to work, you work with writers, you're mm -hmm. creating things <laughs> in your work and then you are writing your novels and then you're also writing your newsletter. How, how do you how, like, how is that possible for you? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Like, so how do you, how do you deal with that, that burnout, you know? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I do, I often do too much, I will say. Um, and I also do some volunteer work that involves writing as well. So I'm just like basically writing all the time. Um, but I will say I do take breaks. Like right now we're towards the end of the year. I have a novel project I wrapped up a couple of months ago and I've just really kind of taken a break from my creative work. I'm still doing the newsletter, but I'm really focusing more on like stepping away from my desk, being physical outside, um, reading a lot of books right now. So I think I don't write every single day um, and I don't think people need to necessarily. I'm more of like a I go through sprints almost um, to think about it in like a tech way. We do sprints at work. So you do like a really short, sustained sprint of work for a month or a couple of weeks. And then you kind of step back, take a break. So that's been really nice for me. I go through periods. I know usually in January is a really like creative time for me. I get caught up in the beginning of the year. All the holiday parties are over. My schedule tends to be really quiet. Um, so I usually like in the winter after New Year's, I tend to be really creative and productive. So I kind of just have to trust the process. If November and December are like a wash, then I know that'll be a time where I'm feeling a lot more creative. So I definitely get burned out. I take breaks. Um, but because I have so many projects going on at any given time, it's easy to dip into this or that one. Like if the novel's not going well, I'll work on the newsletter. 
if I'm stuck in the newsletter, I use it to think about what's happening with the novel. So it's nice to have, you know, a lot of options when it comes to creativity and, and writing. Yeah. Like, um, I write for clients on LinkedIn, uh, help them, you know, come up with some posts and things. I yeah. kind of, kind of some ghost writing. Um, I write my own work on LinkedIn and I, I feel like when I'm, I feel kind of burned out doing one thing that mm -hmm. I can come back to my personal writing and, you know, really kind of hit the ground running almost mm -hmm. like I'm not burned out at all. You know, do you think like having those, like, I think you might've touched on it just then, but do you think mm -hmm. having those different buckets kind of helps you to, you know, kind of like go into another one when you're feeling burned out in one area of your creative life? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I also like, I love to read. Um, and I had a professor in my MFA program who said two hours of reading equals one hour of writing. So I always return to that. If ever I'm feeling like, oh no, I haven't, I haven't sat at my desk for a while. I haven't opened my, my latest project. I think, well, you know what, I'll go read for two hours instead. And that's going to do something for my brain. When I do turn back to the page, I'm going to be better for it. So I think reading counts a lot when it comes to that kind of work. Who said that? Sorry, who, who said that to you? Um, my professor, Nina de Gramont. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She's Did, oh, okay. So, so I want, did she ever tell you anything else that stuck in your mind that, you know, <laughs> would be helpful for people listening? Yeah. Well, that's the one I remember from her. I had another professor, um, Robert Siegel, who would always tell me to write through the white space. That's my other favorite bit from my MFA program. I had a habit of like writing a really intense scene and then doing that like paragraph break and then picking up later. And I thought I was being really like um, creating a lot of like suspense or leaving things kind of to the reader. And he was always like, you broke the scene right at the moment. That was most interesting, like right through that white space, take us through the whole thing and get to the next section. Um, so even if you don't keep it, it's great to write through it to see what's actually happening instead of like stepping away at those moments. Um, so those were like the two things that, and I graduated like 10 years ago. And I think about those two pieces of advice all the time. So, yeah. okay. I love it. Um, yeah. we're talking a little bit about like having your newsletter as kind of like off to the side a little bit while you, while, mm -hmm. while you have a full nine to five job. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Would you, in a perfect world, want to have a full-time newsletter? Like, would you want to be a full-time writer if you could make as much money as you wanted doing your newsletter yeah. on Substack? Would you want to do that? I don't know. I I mean, probably, maybe. Um, I think there'd be a lot of benefits to it, you know? But I will say I've currently, of course, this could always change, but I really do love... Um, I do like my job a lot. I like having that separation. Um, I get a lot of like energy from my job. I don't know if I would get that completely from Substack. It's a great question. I know, I know you had a question about like, if I could grow my newsletter faster, if it was like my one focus. And I think that's probably true for a lot of my creative projects. Like if I didn't have to devote eight hours a day to my job. I'm sure I would like spend way more time on my newsletter. I would write a novel way faster than three years. Um, spend a lot more time just being involved in the literary community. So I think 
if I could still have health insurance and the same amount of money, I probably would try to do it full time. Um, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. That's cool that you didn't say like for sure, you know, um, because <laughs> I feel like we have a lot of people that are like, yeah, like I would love to be a full-time writer. And yeah. um, I've kind of done this full, like a little full-time <laughs> the past couple of years. And there's like some stuff that um, mm -hmm. that's not fun. I mean, like in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, what, what I love to do has kind of been um, corrupted by, Mm. need to get attention to, in order to get my business to keep making money and yeah. that that corrupts what otherwise is a really pure um thing that I get to do a creative act that I get to do which is right and like trying to find that balance over the past couple of years has been excruciatingly difficult sometimes um you and know. I know there are some um full-time substackers out there like plenty of them and it is, you know, it's probably more than a full-time job to keep it going and to do all that work and so much self-promotion, which I'm not the best at or um, don't always want to be doing that part of it. So the idea of doing the newsletter full-time seems like a, a dream, but knowing there is so much of that work that goes into it, um, is that really the kind of work that I want to do. Whereas with my job, I do feel like it's very easy to step away from it because it's not necessarily like my passion. I mean, I enjoy it, but I'm not like, I didn't build the company myself. It's not like my name's yeah. on the, the door or anything. So I, it's easy for me to step away, to take PTO, to not think about it when I'm not there. Whereas I feel like probably you with your own business and you know relying on your writing, you can never quite step away or separate yourself from it. Yeah. And I guess it just comes down to what you value, right? Because a lot of writers, well, a lot of writers who want to be writers, they 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 really just want to make money with it. It's not mm -hmm. really like, oh, I love writing, therefore I'm going to write online. It's like, oh, I see a lot of people are making money doing this, so I'm going to go and do it. You know, and it's like, I value that writing part of it too. I mean, it's also a way to make money for me because I kind of stumbled into it. I don't want to talk about that, but I kind of stumbled into making money writing with mm -hmm. courses and stuff like that. But I yeah. love writing in and of itself. And I I just wanted to say that reading your story, I I'm <laughs> jealous of you. Like, like <laughs> you have you have that full-time thing. You you, uh -huh. you have a very it seems like you have a pretty balanced life. I mean, I'm sure maybe it's not perfect, but like you you know, you, you have that you have this section like this part mm -hmm. of your life here for 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 work, and then you have this section here for your for your newsletter, and then you have your novels, and then and then you're and then you're reading and you're doing other things on the side that kind of keep you i guess creatively um fresh let's mm -hmm. say and and then you have people who might be doing this full time and they're burned out you know like like yeah. eyes black and you know just staring at screens all day um trying to figure out what the, what thing they can mine mm -hmm. for new content you know what uh, what thing yeah. that happened to them recently that they can mine for new content and i feel like that yeah. can be that can be a jail cell and I just, I just wanted to make sure that I touched on that during this, during this interview, because, you know, yeah. I, th I think far too many of us just say, I want to do that. But in reality, it's, it's kind of nice to have that balance, you know? Yeah. So. Well, thank you for saying that. I never really thought about it that way before. It kind of makes me feel better about what I'm doing. Um, and I think for me, having a creative life, being able to write, um, 
and create things and connect with people. I'm, I work at a much slower pace than others because I have, you know, a lot of, like you just said, I have a job, I have hobbies, I read, I've got friends. So I work at a slower pace. My output is not like what other people's output is, but to me, it feels sustainable. It feels like I can live a creative life for a lifetime. You know, I'm not worried about burning out or, or I like, I've failed plenty already. So that doesn't scare me either. So to me, being able to know that I can keep doing this for as long as I want to feels really good. Yeah. Well, this kind of leads into the next question. Speaking of <laughs> like failure or whatever, um, yeah. which, so you started your Substack close to five years ago. Um, a lot of my writing students have a hard time getting through that initial, you know, couple months, maybe even like year of not really getting too much attention um, to their writing, feeling like, you know, maybe they're not connecting with their audience too well. Mm -hmm. um, you normally get about, I think, upwards of 20 plus likes per post now, which is great. And I took a look back at your catalog. And I think like sometimes in the past, when you in your first couple years, or your first year, you're getting like mm -hmm. one to two likes per post. So how yeah. like, like, the overwhelming majority of writers would have quit during that time. <laughs> and um, like, how did you how did you get through that? Was that tough for you? How, how was that experience for you? Um, I don't remember it being too tough. I think I, because I've written online for so long and kind of have, have seen how things grow and watched other creators. I know that's just part of it. Like you start small, you don't have an audience and it's almost the time where you have the most freedom as a creative person or a writer as a creator. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody is watching your every move. You can kind of just try anything because the, the stakes are so low. Um, so you can kind of see what works. So I kind of think about that time. And I think about that in my my novels too. Like I haven't been published yet, but that means there's no expectations for me. So I can, I have the freedom to try anything. Now, when you have a bigger audience and you have more eyes on you, the stakes are much higher. So I think that time of the newsletter was almost the most pure and the most fun. Cause I was just like, it took me a while to settle into like my niche and figure out like how I wanted to talk about things. I tried a few different formats and stuff in the beginning before I kind of settled into what what I kind of now do every week um that I publish follows the same format um but yeah I just kind of looked at that time as being like this is your chance to just see what sticks to do whatever you want um and the people will come and they did for the most part so how so you mentioned you settled into you know mm -hmm. what the newsletter is now how how did you settle in? Like what 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 were some of the kind of realizations that you had, you know that 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 kind of transformed your newsletter into what it was before and to, into what it is now? Yeah, I think it was really like the feedback that I was getting from people. So sometimes I would publish um, an issue and think like, oh, I wrote this and it's really vulnerable, or no one's going to care about this one, or I just like shared way too many personal feelings. And then of course, those would be the ones where I would get the most replies or likes or feedback or people would be like, wow, I really connected with this. And I was like, okay, so people like when I get a little more personal. Um, and then I also just use it as a way to reflect on my own creative process. So wherever I am in my current project or whatever challenge I'm facing, or if something in my life happens that I can connect back to, writing or the creative process or just art making in general. So it tends to be like, now I've settled into this personal essay that is connected to writing in some way. So keeping it personal, but connecting it to the art. 
is sort of the format I've settled into. But I found people love the the vulnerable stuff, like talking about failure, talking about doubts. Um, I think my most popular newsletter of all time is when I talk about the two times I went out on submission with an agent and nobody bought my book, which is like really upsetting and embarrassing to admit out loud. Um, but that's like the by far the most read issue that I've ever published. So yeah, just being balancing like the personal side with the process side has kind of been the formula that's really worked for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like when telling telling that's that's probably a fear that a lot of people have when they want to write a novel like mm -hmm. okay what if I write this and, and nobody cares about it or whatever and mm -hmm. I feel like you taking that audience on that journey and showing mm -hmm. them that it's probably not as in some ways it's probably as excruciating as you would imagine <laughs> but in other ways it's kind of might it might not be as excruciating and you might have learned some things along the yeah. way and and you going there for them mm -hmm. rather than you know what I mean like so few yeah. of us would actually do it right so few of us would be like all right I'm so scared I won't do it and you did it and then you yeah. have this to share with them about okay this is how it feels that's what storytelling mm -hmm. is obviously right mm -hmm. I mean it's like you get to feel what what it would feel like if you could do something that you could never do right and yeah. I I feel like you know that 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 element of it for you probably you know uh, cause them to, yeah. to do better than, than they, you know what I mean? Than, than normal. Yeah. So. And when it comes to that, like the fact that I went through that twice, um, you know, when, before well, the first time I wrote a novel and, and got an agent and went out on submission, I was like, the worst outcome is if I do all this work and nobody publishes my book, that's like my worst fear, the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And then it happened. Like my worst fear came true. And I, at the end of it, I was just like, well, the worst outcome happened and I'm just going to go ahead and write another book. Like no one's stopping me from writing. They're not publishing this book, but no one's like taken away my laptop or told me I'm not allowed to write anymore. And so like, if you can get through the work, what you perceive to be the worst possible outcome, I don't know, it became very freeing. I was like, well, the worst thing has already happened and I dealt with it. So I guess I'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like how 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 was that for you Chrissy like like what what I just said about it is probably as excruciating as you might think but also maybe not like how how did how did that like how did you get through that yeah I mean it was pretty excruciating I think I had a lot of hopes and dreams pinned on that book specifically the first one and that was when I was really new to the publishing industry I didn't realize maybe exactly how like um competitive and cutthroat it can be like it's really hard to publish a book um very few people get to do it with a traditional publisher um so yeah I spent a lot of time just like feeling really bad <laughs> um spent some time crying drank a little wine yeah um but then I was like well like I said before I just threw myself into a new project and I was like if they don't want that one I'll try again and I've just kept kept trying and I think too like I'm 41 now which feels actually does not feel old at all. But I think when I was younger, I thought that was so old. And like, if I didn't publish a book by 25 or 30, then like my life was over. But now I feel like you can publish a book at any time. 
And the book, the longer you wait, the better it'll be. So I'm just like, you know, I'll keep writing, I'll keep getting better. And when I do publish a book, um, it's going to be like so good that everyone who subscribes to my newsletter will buy like three copies. It'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you'll have a, you know, you'll have uh, five figure subscribers at that point and, yes, and you'll, and you'll yes. get some, you'll get, you'll get a lot of people to, you, a lot of people will buy that. I promise. But um, yeah, that's but, a long game. <laughs> well, I hate to keep like Chrissy. I, thank you so much for like being open to talk about this. I yeah. don't, I, 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 I don't mean to, to really put you here in this space to like torture you here, but I, I, mm. I do think that it's really nice to hear you talk about it because there's so much fear mm -hmm. um, for writers out there, for people that follow me. They they have so much fear to publish. They have so much fear about what if nobody cares? And I get it. I really do. And it's something I feel too. Um, but for you, I'm, I'm curious to know whether if you never got published, if it never happened for you, mm -hmm. would, would all of this be worth it for you? Would, would the, would writing of these stories, would that daily work would, mm -hmm. you know, would, would it all of this still be worth it for you? Um, I mean, these are great questions. And I, I think the answer is honestly, yes, because I think for me writing, I don't necessarily write for, for money or views. Those things are nice, but for me, writing is really how I, process the world around me. It's how I experience the world. So when something happens to me and I'm able to write about it, that's really when I feel like I understand the lessons I'm learning or um, just, it gives me a deeper understanding and appreciation for the world. So I feel like writing has enriched like my experience of being alive. Um, and that's really separate from, you know, the publishing industry. It's kind of like a pure thing I do for me, almost like a meditation practice. So I feel like it's improved my life in a way that I hope it continues to do forever. Yeah. Writing in and of itself is, is the mm -hmm. reward, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Great. Although I um, take a book deal in a heartbeat. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, Chrissy, I hope it happens for you and I'm sure it Thank will. You so much. I'm sure it will. <laughs> um, so you, Let's talk a little bit about growing on Substack, you know, for yeah. the back little section mm -hmm. of this, of this mm -hmm. call. Um, so you built a newsletter from scratch to, mm -hmm. you know, close to 2000 subscribers. So for you, you know, what were the biggest reasons you were able to do that? Um, I think the two secrets to Substack or newsletter writing in general are not groundbreaking. I think the first is just consistency. Um, you know, I started my newsletter five years ago. I, I'd started out publishing every week, which turned out to be too much for me because of all the other things we've talked about. So then I decided, you know, every other week is fine. And I think that's worked great for me. It's worked great for my readers. Even if I skip a week here and there, no one seems to notice or complain, but I have showed up, you know, almost every other week for five years, I write something and I send it out. So I think that creates a lot of like expectation and loyalty from people. They look forward to it. Um, they're not overwhelmed by it. They know it's coming. Um, and then the other thing that Substack in particular is great about is they have a lot of tools for building community and discovering other newsletters. So when they released their like recommendations feature that you mentioned before, um, I double checked before this call, it was in 2022, they released that. And from then I've noticed like, 
my subscribers, like a very gentle slope has gone up. So because I read so many newsletters, I'm active on other people's, I pay for a few subscriptions, even though I don't do that for my own newsletter. Um, being able to like form those relationships with people, leaving them comments, emailing them, um, that's really been a big part of it. So when other people recommend my newsletter, when I recommend theirs, you just kind of fall into like this, this bigger group of people. Yeah. So that's really helpful too. So it's just, it's just that I've, I've, uh, I've heard of the same thing. You know, a lot of people say that when the recommendations feature was implemented or rolled out, it was like, uh, you know, you, 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 you saw this kind of mm -hmm. line go start to go up like, yeah. like, like an exponential curve. Um, just out of curiosity, were there like any other moments in your newsletter's life where you saw like a lot, like a big bump in subscriber growth in a short period of time? Or was that always just the, the recommendations? Um, there were two moments where I feel like I, I noticed a bump. Overall, it's just been slow and steady, but I think it was like 2020, maybe I did a, like a newsletter swap with another newsletter writer, um, Nisha's internet tote bag. She's like huge now, but she was a little bit smaller at the time. And I loved her newsletter. And I was like, what if you wrote the recommendation section of my newsletter and I wrote the recommendation section of yours and we just like swapped that little area of the newsletter and she was into it. And so we did it. And I think I got like, I didn't have as many subscribers and I think got like a hundred new ones just from doing that. So I'd been a reader of hers for a while. I'd given her great feedback. I guess she trusted me and she read my newsletter. So when we did that little like crossover episode, um, that was like a really fun thing to do. And a lot of her readers were similar to mine. So it was a natural fit. Um, and I've done that since with a few other people and it has not been as, as dramatic. I've got maybe five people, so I don't really do that too much anymore. Um, and then the other one, this is very convoluted, but there's a newsletter writer called Katie Hawkins Gar, who writes my sweet, dumb brain, beautiful newsletter. She did a guest post or was interviewed on Anne Helen Peterson's culture study, which is like a mammoth newsletter. Like she's a full-time sub stacker, like. She probably has like 50,000 subscribers, but Katie recommend had my, had me listed as one of her recommendations. So when she was featured in this really huge newsletter, she got a ton of new subscribers and like a portion of them then found me through that. And that day, like I was getting all these new subscribers and I was like, where are these people coming from? And I ha like figured out the web that connected us. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really fun too. Probably okay. like. And like huge, it was maybe around like 200 people came over. But for me, that was like 200 people in one week. And then I was like, oh God, now I got to write a really good newsletter um, for this week. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like that about Substack. I, I like that. Um, I like that the recommendations are in my, like from what I can tell, Chrissy, I feel like recommendations mm -hmm. are the best way to grow on Substack. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that because on uh, I write on medium.com I, I mm -hmm. used to actually I've, I've since stopped and the algorithm would recommend you stories to read mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it would just be kind of random and it, you know you'd get some stories from people that you followed but that was about mm -hmm. it um with Substack I feel like when you recommend somebody else that's a really personal like mm -hmm. like almost like a word of mouth type thing going on and I feel like that's always kind of stronger, you know, and um, I, I, 
I just like that about Substack. I don't really mm -hmm. think I have a question. I don't think I'm arriving at any question. I just think I, I <laughs> like that about that, about this platform, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I can look at my stats. There's, there's some stats on the back end, but I know like 95% of my readers, they read it in their email inbox. They don't really use the Substack app. They're not on Substack.com. They're just reading my newsletter in their email. Um, so there's not really an opportunity for like the algorithm to deliver other newsletters to them. But when they subscribe or when I link to someone's newsletter that I really liked or vice versa, that's where I see more subscribers come in. Um, so I think it really is very community-based, very word of mouth based. Um, you know, you, you kind of trust the people that you subscribe to. You have that long-term relationship with them. So I think um, any recommendation you make, they kind of takes more seriously than maybe something in the algorithm might deliver to them. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, reading other people's newsletters, like, like on, on, on medium, you know, you can publish in a publication and then medium will do the work for you and just blast your story out to a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. I feel like on Substack, it's kind of like, it's, I feel like it's a little tougher because mm -hmm. if you really want to make a big splash, you should, you know, like network and communicate with people and, and subscribe and support mm -hmm. them and develop a relationship over time. But I feel like, I feel like when you eventually start growing on Substack, it's a bit stronger than what mm -hmm. you would get on medium because medium is just like a short, you know, like cocaine induced, like, you know what I mean? Like just <laughs> burst to your growth. And I feel like on yeah. Substack, it's this slow, methodical, mm -hmm. you know, like like rewarding experience um, as you grow your network more and more over time, yeah. slowly, mm -hmm. you know. So, I, I and and that's that's kind of like one of my final questions here, yeah. Chrissy. Um, to segue into that, like, I feel like Substack. I don't know how much experience you have with Medium.com, but I feel like Substack mm -hmm. has. Um, a higher quality of writing. I feel like the content there is higher is of a higher quality mm -hmm. than medium.com. I don't know how much experience you mm -hmm. have with medium, but would you, do you think that that's the case? Like, you know, what, what, what do you think of that? Um, I am familiar with medium. I have played around there a bit. I didn't get too into it um, at the time. And maybe that is the answer to the question. I didn't find a ton of value on medium.com. Whereas I spent a lot of time on Substack. But I think from what I understand, Medium, it is when you get paid there, it's sort of pay-per-view, like the more views, the more money you make, um, which is like one way to do it. And that's great. I think on Substack, the difference there is that you are really writing, um, you know, you are creating a relationship with people. So if you write, if they subscribe to your newsletter and you write two or three kind of bad ones in a row or things they don't like, they'll unsubscribe and you'll lose that reader. So it's really a... It, it does well for you to continue to write great content, to write meaningful things, to put the work into it, to write that higher caliber stuff so that people will keep coming back and won't hit that unsubscribe button. So I feel like that's more rewarded on Substack than maybe other platforms. Yeah, where you can write like a, you know, five morning hacks that made mm -hmm. my life 100x better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So so on Medium, the views are the views are what rewards you. But on Substack, it's it's that slow, mm -hmm. um, methodical 
really useful content over time, yeah. that relationship that you build with your audience, mm -hmm. that will lead to more subscribers and more paid subscribers. Therefore, you have better content on Substack. Yeah. And I think for someone like me, who's, you know, a writer who is trying to get to sell a book one day to get published, who shares my process, I think people get invested in that, that journey with me. Like they want to, they want to see what happens with my book. They want to know, you know, how I approach failure or what's going to happen next with this journey that I try to share pretty openly. So they want, they want to keep coming back to find out sort of what happens next, which, you know, is great for a writer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and you could, you could do anything you wanted and they would be there to support you. You know, those, those yeah. people that really love your work. I mean, they will be there no matter mm -hmm. what to read and you yeah. could almost self-publish. I mean, with time, you know um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know what you would want to do, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been thinking about it. So, you know, I've really been working at the traditional, trying to get a traditional publication deal. Um, but the longer I go and the more value I find in things like Substack and the community there, the more I think this could be a real possibility for me down the road. So, you know, it makes me think more expansively about what does it mean to publish your work? What does it mean to share it widely? How many different paths can you take to that? So. It's a lot of things I've been thinking about lately and we'll probably write about in my Substack at some point. <laughs> well, I hope that that curve keeps going up exponentially for you. Yeah. And, you know, and I hope that the people listening to this will go and subscribe to your to your <laughs> newsletter immediately, uh, which every <laughs> all the links are down below in the oh. um, in the description for that. Um, but Chrissy, I, like before I kind of let you get on and promote <laughs> whatever you want to promote, do, do you have any final thoughts on writing creativity growing on the Substack that you would like to you know share with with uh with the listeners right now um well I will just say first of all thank you for having me on this podcast it's my first time on a podcast ever so um you know you've been a delightful host with some great questions so I can't wait to listen to the episode and share it with everyone I know um and I think my main advice, which I think, you know, is kind of the theme of my Substack, is just to find something you love and keep doing it no matter what. Um, if you love the process, if you love what you're doing, if you find value in it, then that's really going to carry you much further than anything else will. So. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Chrissy, feel free yeah. to uh, take a couple seconds, minutes, whatever, to uh, yeah. promote anything you want to promote obviously we have you know so relatable your newsletter i'm going to mm -hmm. put that in the description but anything else you want to kind of promote for people um that's really the only thing i have right now if i had a book i would tell you to buy it so subscribe now and then when i do publish a book please buy it um but in the meantime yeah that's pretty much all i have to promote so okay okay thank awesome you. chrissy um yeah well thank you so much for for coming on i had a lot of fun Thank you me for too. going on the rabbit holes with me and going down and you know what I mean? Very helpful stuff yeah. that I think a lot of people will, uh, will get a lot of value from. So thank you once again, yeah. Chrissy. Well, I love talking about it. So thanks for the opportunity.